I'm gonna pretend right now that I'm a pop-up. You clicked on something and it's a customer education platform and it's and I'm trying to do something here. And then I'm trying to close I, you. Yeah, I'm I'm I pop up, hey, I'm short and punchy. C-Lab, the customer education lab where we explore how to build customer education programs, experiment with new approaches, and exterminate the myths and bad advice that stopped growth dead in its tracks. I am Dave Darrington. And I'm Adam Evermescu, wishing you a happy Faux-Fur Friday. Faux-Fur Friday. I love this one. You know, at least it's helping the environment a little bit, maybe. That's true. Helping our, our fine, furry, feathered furry friends. Cool. Okay, Adam, kick this off. What are we talking about today? All right. Well, put yourself in the shoes of your learners. Say you're trying to use a new piece of software for the first time. You probably have some idea of what you're trying to do with it. Maybe you're trying to solve a very specific problem, or maybe your boss told you to use it. So Dave, if you're in that situation, what's the first thing you do? Oh, geez. Well, I know what I wouldn't do, right? I'd I wouldn't find the LMS or online academy for that product if I can find it at all. You know, I, I wouldn't start clicking through courses to learn the product or get a certification. You know, what, why not? I, well, I know it's a, you know, what's scarier? Um, if there is a getting started guide, I probably wouldn't even find it. And even if I do, I would skim it at best. I probably wouldn't even read through the walkthrough I get during my user onboarding. Oh my gosh, Dave, you don't read the manual? <laughs> so why, why, why wouldn't you use all the awesome resources available to you? Because that's not how I learn. That's not how anybody learns. Well, maybe. You know, I, I am not ready at this point for help, advice, or education until, and, and this is speaking for me and I am sure I speak for others, until I've gone in and I've messed with stuff, right? I, I open up the app and I look at it and I go, what does this even mean? What am I trying to do? And... And then I even might even go and try to solve a problem that I want to solve first. And then, you know what? I'm going to throw down my mouse, my computer, keyboard, and say, I give up. And then I'm ready for education. What do you think? <laughs> yeah, once, once you've had a couple of rounds of frustration. I, I think this is true for a lot of us who work either in software that is freemium, software that's available to the mm -hmm. public, software that's more of a consumer model. Um, we're all about missing mix, mix, Excuse me. Words are hard. We're all, words are hard. We're all about a lot of things on this show, but mostly we're about myths and misconceptions. And there are plenty when it comes to the idea of in-product education. So that's really where we should focus today. Some people think that you shouldn't have to do in-product education if your product is simply intuitive enough, right? The idea that I shouldn't have to teach my grandmother how to use an iPhone, she <laughs> can just use it. But that's just not true, right? Even if you have a beautiful UI, even if you have the most consumer-friendly product, that doesn't mean that customers will automatically then be able to execute complex workflows inside. No, I think that's absolutely right. And, and here's something else, Adam. You know, people also tend to think, you know, and I think I'm speaking in generalities, of course, here, but by implementing in-product education, this has to be something intrusive. You know, that, that what comes to mind is good old Clippy uh, from the old Microsoft Office products, right? Yeah, he's, he's not just intrusive, he's downright creepy. He is, and it's still a meme. Those eyebrows. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, 
So now if you think about this scenario that I described just a few minutes ago where, you know, I like to go in, and this is this is absolutely true, some dramatic effect admit, admittedly here, but I really do like to get into an application, into a product it, before I really find value in it. The last thing I want is some kind of creepy paperclip getting all up in my business, telling me what to do <laughs> when I'm really just struggling with the app itself. Yeah, so that means a lot of the way that we think about education and even in-product education is is simply not accurate. The the information just doesn't yeah. hold up. Because I, I, I think you're right, Dave. And I don't think it's just your preference. I think it's a pattern of behavior we see across many users. Uh, I wrote an article about this a few years ago called Customers Don't Care About Your Product, So Don't Educate Them Like They Do. And I think a lot of the, the principles in that are still true, even if the exact technology that I was talking about in that article has evolved. When customers first trial your product, especially if you have a free trial or your freemium or some of the other scenarios I mentioned a moment ago, they're not always intrinsically motivated to be successful. They might just be there to see if they can kind of figure out what's going on, or maybe they're trying to solve a problem, but you can't expect them to find their way to your academy, nor can you expect them to engage with your in-product education if you're just pushing information at them? A lot of people just keep surfacing a bunch of tool tips and expecting those to grab someone's attention or to motivate them, but often you're just annoying them. You have to find the right blend to appeal to your learner's motivations. Yeah, so you know, I, I've got some stories to share too here today, but let's frame this up, frame up this hypothesis for today's episode in this context. For software companies, Successful customer education requires a balance or a blend between traditional learning and contextual in-product education. All right. Oof. I'm looking forward to hearing your stories because we'll, we'll figure out here. Some people say that uh, in-product education is the new LMS. Well, let's, let's find out if that's true. Let's find out if it's true. Okay. So let's, let's kick it off by starting with the first elf in the room. Why in-product education? Now, you know, why do companies use in-product education as a part of their portfolio to begin with? That seems like more companies are investing in digital adoption or, say, user engagement platform. Yeah, I think, I think you're right. And when I see people starting out in customer education, I think this is the area, this is the, probably the part of the learning stack where people have the most interest and also the most mystification because it seems mm -hmm. so cool, but it seems confusing. And, and the market's there, right? If you look at the variety of digital adoption platforms out there or or dApps or DAPs, you might hear them called all yeah, sorts of things. All kinds of things. Um, WalkMe, Pendo, WhatFix, AppQs, UserIQ, Inline Manual, Chameleon, I'm sure I'm missing some. Whew, yeah. Uh, I'm, I'm sure I'm missing some. In fact, there's there's a couple even that I'm thinking of right now. The, the list goes on. <laughs> we, we even spoke to a startup uh, at Skillsjar Connect called Can Do Labs uh, that offers in-product learning and onboarding checklists that are embedded directly within the company's own app. Yeah, that, that would have been uh, Jonathan Anderson, I think, that we were, we were hanging out with. Um, so why are there so many companies in this space? That's uh, something I think about. You know, I think about this all the time is how do we get into the, into the product and start surfacing this stuff? Well, let me weigh in with some of my thoughts about this. That, first of all, the idea of performance support uh, systems is nothing new. You know, we've been using job aids and contextual performance support for a really long time in learning. But now when we think about the performance goals around learning, there are some tasks that 
are, are really better mastered on the job, right? Performance support is about, hey, I got your back. That's one of the outreach values and, and helping people in that time of need rather than being in the classroom. So, of course, if we could provide that support in time and in context, that's way better than sending our learners through a course and hoping they're just going to do the thing and do it right later on. Yeah, exactly. I, I love the idea of, you know, thinking about this as, as part of the lineage of um, performance support tools. If you talk to anyone who's been in L&D for uh, a long time, performance support, it's it's nothing new. But, you know, just because they appear to be the same on the surface, that doesn't mean that they're exactly the same. Because I, I think the problem that you just talked about gets magnified when we're talking about customer education. In customer education, we don't have control over our learners, and especially for those of us with SaaS products. It means that our users will probably be in our products before they're ever in our classrooms. And thus, it's our responsibility as product-focused companies to meet our users where they are and offer them a relevant path to learning. Otherwise, they're probably just going to give up and go somewhere else. Yeah, and we don't want that. You know, That's the idea behind in-product onboarding and walkthroughs, right? We're for a product manager, let's put it in that context, a product manager looking closely at metrics, they really want to see healthy onboarding and adoption metrics. They want to see people picking up and that, that curve is going up and to the right, hopefully exponentially, just like Facebook infamously measures whether you, Adam, have gotten to those seven friends in 10 days. Well, I hope um, I get there. Yeah, that's, that's you know, I've had those experiences with Twitch and other platforms too. Most companies need some proxy of whether customers are adopting in a way that's predictive of their future usage, so we can see what's going on. They need to use the product telemetry um, to really monitor whether a customer's adoption looks healthy or not, because that's gonna predict growth. That's gonna predict what our trajectory is for increasing revenue and ultimately being successful with our product. Yeah, so they end up throwing together an onboarding and a walkthrough that mm -hmm. might bring you to uh, a product tour, right? Uh, you know, some, some parts of the platform because we're hoping that that's going to lead to that, uh, that in-product adoption. Yeah. We have this issue at Optimizely. Uh, Optimizely had a really large self-serve user base and people had heard of a thing called A-B testing and here was a tool to help them do it. But what happened was they would get in our product and have no idea how to set up an experiment. Right. So we had this home-built tool called guiders.js. It was a JavaScript library that served a, a feature tour that did what I was talking about a moment ago. It just walked you through the platform. It worked great in the early days. Uh, in fact, if you go to uh, useronboard.com, where uh, this guy Sam Hulick runs these onboarding teardowns, it's a great site. Hmm. Um, he, he evaluates different software products onboardings and offers uh, pretty thoughtful critiques from the user's perspective. And there's, a, there's an Optimizely teardown of the old Guiders.js in there. That's pretty cool. Well, let me ask you more about that. So having been a JavaScript person and a web dev before, what was in that doc? Well, I mean, what was in that guiders.js file? Was that like a fully contextual in-product support system? Was it a chat bot you'd have for onboarding, like what you have at Slack, Adam? What was in there? No, it was it was really innovative at the time they created it, um, which was around 2011. But in terms of content, it was basically a, a real estate tour of our yeah. Optimizely editor. Okay, that's cool. So, yeah, yeah, you'd get you'd get these little tooltips prompting different types of action, but we didn't really explain the why behind those features. Okay, so you probably didn't need to do that, right? You you didn't need to explain that why. Yeah, why? Well, why is that, Dave? Uh, well, <laughs> why? Well, why didn't we need the why? 
we didn't know the why because when we work with early because when we work with early stage customers they often just get it you know they grok it they don't need to be told why that product is important to them because they went out and found it right hopefully um and they also don't need to know why a future does what it does they just need the keys to the kingdom yeah, I think looking at uh, you know the crossing the chasm model of starting with the innovators and moving to early adopters and then you get into the majority yeah. kind of describes customer and user behavior as well. And, and so once you start getting to later stage customers, they often need more context and guidance. And they also need help at different times. So when you have something like Guiders.js, which is pretty fixed and requires um, you know someone to be able to update and maintain it, it, it can't be changed easily. You can't yeah. navigate back and forth. Um, it was like a very linear tour. You click next. If you dismissed it, it never came back. Um, and it would keep going whether you were ready or not. So often we were giving you information before you were actually ready to use it as a user. Hmm. Well, that sounds a lot like what a lot of us do uh, or how most of us do training. You know, we <laughs> let's just face it. I've done this. I'm sure you've done this. Other people have done this. The first time you're building it, we throw all the information that we think is important into a deck, and then we ramble on for an hour or more and just hope it's the best. Yeah. <laughs> and, and it doesn't work, right? Like for an early stage company, that could be a viable strategy. But as the company matures and customers become more diverse in terms of their context and their skill level, that all starts to break down. So, in fact, just to, to continue the Optimizely story, we were reevaluating whether Guiders.js still worked. And so we looked at all the content in there, and then we mapped it against our top support categories, as well as our most viewed help articles. And most of the topics were barely addressed, if at all, by the content in Guiders.js. Hmm, that's interesting. And even if it was, most of those topics only became support ticket drivers after the user no longer had access to the guiders. So what that <laughs> means is they might have gone through the guiders, they might have finished it, they might have not, they might have dismissed it, and then they use the product for a little bit, and then they wonder, how do I solve this issue? So they probably forgot they even learned the material if they ever did. Mm, yeah, it sounds, sounds like a call for micro-learning and keeping, keeping people up to date. So, okay, well... Lesson learned, right? Yeah. Do you, do you have any other uh, stories that you want to share there about, uh, you know, effective or, or not effective in product education? Yeah. What, one of the things that, that I've often seen, and I saw this when I was working at, at Azuqua where we had app queues, and we had done the same kind of thing. We had built all these really nice things, but once you dismiss something, the way we'd set it up, uh, it's gone. And that, that was really infuriating to me. Like, Again, I'm a contextual learner. I, I want patterns, and I want to see how things are working. I want to play with things. And I see something like that, I dismiss it, and then I'm ready for it, and I can't find it. And it's just super frustrating. Yeah, you have to think about when the user is going to have access to that information. Totally. And, you know, they're going to – it's going, kind of going back to your golden rule, right, where we, we need to think about what is best for the customer and when they're in their moment of need and, and be ready to get their back in that moment of need. Indeed. Okay, let's spin on to our second topic here and kind of do a purview of the types of in-product education. And we've been talking about why this is important, why in-product education is so important, but what is it? You know, how, how, do we, how do we back into this? So I've seen so many different types of engagement that can be considered in-product education. Let's break this down, Adam. Yeah, well, why don't we do it in our favorite format, the lightning round? Let's let's just start with one of the most 
common ones, and we can we can uh, keep going back and forth. Okay, so I'll go first. Cool. The walkthrough. That's a series of steps, like you talked about, like AppQs, shows up with a next button, usually points to different elements of your interface to model mm-hmm. how a series of steps can accomplish a certain task. Yeah, simple and easy. Okay, next, tooltips or badges, right? Are those cool? Like a, a little question mark icons that said, what's this? And, off, and things that offer a quick explanation of a feature. These are super useful uh, if you have a feature that isn't quite intuitive to a user. Yeah, and especially on like a walkthrough, uh, you put them in the driver's seat to be able to click that button. Yep. Okay, cool. Next, uh, I'll do overlays. So that's where you get a little translucent screen that appears over the UI with callouts pointing to the different elements on the screen. Uh, you might remember this from like mobile app feature tours from like five years ago yeah. or so. They yeah. used to be incredibly popular to give users kind of a, a map of the areas of the screen real estate. But uh, we see them less often now because they offer too much information at once and really not in the moment of need for the user. Yeah, and it's just kind of as annoying at certain times if they're done poorly and you just get rid of them. Yeah. Okay, let's go to another one. Onboarding checklists. I love this. Sometimes these show up in a widget and often they're directly embedded into the product as like a welcome screen or a getting started section. They're like contextual versions of a getting started guide. And the most famous one is probably the LinkedIn progress bar. You know that? Remember that one? Hey, are you mm-hmm. are you on your way to like a superstar? Um, it, that grew as you started completing the basic onboarding task. I know another one that I just wanted to that just came to mind. Yeah. Toggle, T O G G L. I love this app, and the first time I used it, I, I didn't even know I was on like a little quest. And once I did one thing, something popped up and said, "Hey, you learned this other thing." Well, that brought my attention immediately to this checklist, and then I wanted to do the rest of them, and then I got a little badge. It it, it really got into my dopamine. Uh, it, it riled me up. It got into my brain, right? I wanted to do these things. And it was a moment of need. It was really cool. Yeah, you you end up start, uh, you, you like dopamine hack a little bit there when you start getting those gamification aspects. Yeah. Yeah, yeah it's cool. You feel like you're, you're on a quest, like you're playing uh, World of Warcraft. Okay, <laughs> uh, last one I can think of, I'm sure you have another one. Last one I can think of is uh, support widgets or, or chatbots. Yeah, so awesome. more companies are starting to offer these like natural language processing, NLP or machine learning based solutions where you get a chat-like experience directly in the product, and that directs the user to other resources. Uh, in fact, this, this is not the standard one, but Slack has an app called Slack Foundry that you install from Slack's app directory, which gives you learning paths for Slack in Slack. And yeah. it's right there in the same window that you already use for messaging. So uh, you know, there, there's other ones out there, certainly. You start to see this more packaged with other products like like Intercom, pieces like that. But Dave, can you think of any more? Oh, yeah. Uh, I mean, don't discount Drift as one of the market leaders here. And they're just doing fabulous things. And they get a great show. Of course, show. Drift, yeah. Uh, one other one, and I'll, I'll give a shout out to Mason Levy, who we had on the show, episode 26. Uh, conversational AI was the subject. And uh, they've developed one that's very much like this as well. These kind of things are just super cool. And they're great for call deflection and getting getting things off of supports plate when you have simple questions that can be answered by limited interactivity. Yeah, you know, we, we really like to ask the question sometimes, like how much is uh, AI and machine learning actually going to uh, change the world of learning? But this one's a very clear use case that I, I think we're all pretty excited about. Yeah, it's super cool. Let me give you one more. And maybe this is uh, arguably the most important one. It's the blank state. Okay, you know what I'm talking about? You've got a blank screen in front of you and like, what's going on let me let me explain often in products that have different areas or screen 
those areas of the product are blank or just unpopulated before you start doing stuff. So here's a couple examples. Uh, I'll go back to my tenure at Gainsight. Uh, once you started to look at the dashboard, like as a customer success manager, it, quite often, you, you know, this is a place where you'd have a calls, your calls to action, the things you have to do. There would be nothing there when you first looked at this. Nothing, right? Another, when I was at Azuqua, you we called uh, our workflows flows. Uh, the first time you load up the screen, you got nothing. You've got just a blank page, nada, zipped, nothing there. Um, and outreach would be the same way if you hadn't loaded any prospects. Now, in these moments, it's really mission critical to help somebody out, particularly if someone is like an admin who, uh, like I think in the cases for even me, you're going to get some kind of SaaS equivalent of writer's block. You're just going to kind of wig out there for a minute and go, whoa, what do I do? Um, those are natural opportunities to educate that customer. I, I can think of one of the best ones that I've seen was Azuqua. And it would have like a little pop-up right there and it'd say, get started, do this, this, this. Cool, so it, it filled the white space and it gave me something actionable right there. And you know, as soon as I knew what I'm doing, I could dismiss that, but it was really super helpful in product tooling. Yeah, it's it's a, a moment of wasted opportunity for a lot of companies when, you know, maybe you go through this intro, the sign up flow, you fill out a form, you get in the product for the first time, and then there's just like a, a blank dashboard. And maybe it says, create a project or something, maybe there's some call to action, but that's a moment for instruction, a moment for inspiration that a lot of people just forget. Yeah, it's easy to do. Okay, let's say a great lightning round. Yeah, that was super cool. We love the lightning rounds here. Going to do more of that. Let's go. One, <laughs> let's go to one more. Last point in product education beyond onboarding. Right? We've been at this point talking a lot about your your first point of contact, the first point of engagement with that application, and what do we what do we try to do? There's all kinds of playbooks and things you can do, but people often use in product education for more. Right? You know. Yeah. I, I've seen really good in product education that helps customers when they need support or they're trying to nurture customers uh, on how to use new features that have been released. These are other points of need. Maybe you have somebody that hasn't logged in for a really long time and they're like, oh, I haven't done this in a while. And at that point, it's been two months, three months, you pop up a little widget again. So these are the kind of things we're talking about beyond the onboarding. Yeah, absolutely. And you know, you mentioned support earlier. I couldn't agree more. Mm -hmm. You can often partner up to use in-product education for support deflection. So you work with your customer experience team, they're fielding tickets, they know what customers are getting confused about or complaining about. And you can also work with your product marketing teams to use in-product education to create awareness around the, not just the what, but the why and how of new features to help customers who are in your product adopt them. So there's kind of a few things here, right? Nurturing people back into your product, mm -hmm. helping them avoid issues that might take them out of your product, and helping them get more out of your product. Yeah, and it sounds like it get really overwhelming really quickly. You know, I also I don't want a bunch of pop-ups just cluttering my experience. So what do you do about that? Well, I think as we know from a certain radioactive spider-based superhero, <laughs> with great power comes great responsibility. You don't want to use in-app walkthroughs for every single product component or every feature, right, Dave? That's going to that's get right. really overwhelming because you're, you're going to end up creating a headache for your customers, but you're also going to create a nightmare for your product team, especially with product tours and walkthroughs where there's a lot of content. Um, not only do you have to keep updating them, there's 
a, a need for them to bind to an element in your product. And and here I'm I'm talking about this in in the scripting term, right? This is CSS, like uh, something has to bind to an element. Yeah. So there's some code telling the walkthrough what to attach to. And if your product team changes that, it's also going to end up breaking your walkthroughs. So you actually there, there's a bit of a less is more here. Okay, well, you're coming from a point of authority on this. Uh, let's use this as an opportunity to tell the audience, what do you recommend here? So um, I would also say, to backing into this and just thinking about all this, we were adding a lot of complexity. We could add a whole lot of stuff in here. I'm going to say that you're going to, you're, you're going to want to start simply, you know, and don't try to create in-product education for every single stinking feature and every support issue that you have. You're going to have to back off, think about it, talk to that support team, talk to your product team, talk to, to others that are using the product and prioritize it. So one of the things that I would do is sit down with my uh, you know, head of support, say, what are the one to three support issues that you really need help with? And then start creating an in-product tooltip for those. Make them state-based so they only pop up if somebody has that error. And then for new features and product enhancements, again, now we're working on the other side of the fence and progenering, um, so I've heard the new term coming out, um, focus on brief educational moments in time that explain the why you know, of those features that you're coming in. Because that's well, one of my frustrations in education, I'm sure it's yours too, is we're working product and all of a sudden they say, hey, we've got this new thing. And that happens every couple of weeks or every month or every quarter or what is it? How do you get people who are actively in that product to pay attention? Because a lot of them won't. You want to entice those people to go, hey, that sounds really wicked cool. I want to learn more, not just boom, scattershot them with all this stuff and they're just going to they're, they're just gonna check out and go back to what you're doing, wouldn't you think? Yeah, and, and you're also pointing to a, a different problem, which is real estate. So companies start going down the road of in-product education, and they want to know, well, where can I serve all my education in product, yeah. where my users actually are? I don't want to have to build a separate academy. People aren't going to go find my content there. That That's tempting. That's a tempting instinct, but it's dangerous because you're going to end up running out of room. Yeah. In-product education can be great for showing walkthroughs or click paths to accomplish a certain activity or use case, but once you start to get a little more complex... It's not great for sharing more contextual education right. or, or more complex uh, types of activities, especially for enterprise or B2B products where you may need to know more than just how to navigate around. There has to be a somewhere else for people to go when they really want to learn more or deeper. Yeah, and that's why a lot of us use both in-product education as well as help centers, you know, your documentation platform and your LMS. Uh, you want a front door for people who are searching for the information to make them aware, et cetera. Um, and that's in product education. It's, hey, while well, I've got you here, did you know? I bet you did know. Oh, do you want to learn more? Click here, uh, kind of thing. You want to make them aware. That's that's all there in the product. But then you want somewhere for them to have a much deeper and more meaningful learning experience where documentation might be uh, a, a walkthrough, a, a one pager or something like that. And, and then you have a conversational approach when you get into your LMS, when you watch a video or you read through something with a knowledge check and things like that. Yeah, the, the front door has to be the place where your potential learners are, where your customers are. So it might be in your product. Some people might not be in your product. They might be just searching on Google. So there you want to make some of your content available in your help center and make sure it's indexed. Mm -hmm. uh, maybe put it on YouTube where people are looking for it. But, you know, in general, if we kind of up level from the ta tactics, let's, let's think about this as push versus pull. There's some information that you want to actively push to a user because they don't know they're looking for it. So this might be providing help during an error or surfacing a new feature that people might not know exist. 
There are other pieces of information that are more helpful for the user to pull through a tooltip, like what a certain feature means. So you want to give them the chance to say, hmm, I don't know what this is. Let me investigate more. Right. Um, and it could also come down to whether you're trying to use in-product engagement tools for your training support or marketing, or maybe a combination of all of them. Now, think about what you're trying to accomplish. And then what we, uh, and we would suggest erring on the side of respecting the user. Again, this is a matter of cognitive load. Uh, they're dealing with so much and they're using your app adjacent to other apps. You don't want to overload, you don't want to overload them. Yeah. Especially when you start thinking about um, the push content. When you get totally. into pull and the user has a chance to select their way down a path, then that's that's completely different. Totally. But let's, I, I think what we're starting to hit on here is is the core answer to the, the hypothesis, um, you know, and, and the episode's title here, like, is LMS the new, or sorry, is in-product education or digital adoption platforms the new LMS? Hmm. So I think this is kind of at the heart of the debate going on in the learning world. And this can be our, our last topic for for the episode before we just go into some some tips for in-product education. In the past, it was, it was really hard to say that performance support systems could totally overtake your LMS, but is that still true in customer education? Could we make education entirely contextual and use our, our dApps as the primary education tool? What do you think, Dave? Wow. No, we keep wanting to, to hack away at the LMS. It's an interesting idea, and as customer educators... I'd say we need to be really more in tune with our product telemetry. There's that word again, telemetry. Bill Cashard would love it. Uh, we should be working really I've closely. I've giving you credit for telemetry. I, I like using it. It's one of my favorites. We need to work closely with our product teams, really. And, and that's one of the things I really loved in my tenure at Gainsight because we were so in tune with what was happening in the product. We had all that data. We knew who was clicking what and when and why. And it, and it wasn't to be big brother. It was to be uh, respectful and understand what people and guide them to the materials that they need. Um, so we need to understand what user actions indicate success and what actions we're looking to drive or impel forward. And we also need to be able to show how our education can influence these metrics, affect them, hopefully in a positive way. Yeah, in fact, we, we do this at Slack as well um, for user education content that goes out to you know, hundreds of thousands uh, of different users at a, at a time. If you go through some of our resources in uh, the help center or in our resource library, well, we'll know in the aggregate without having to collect any sort of personally invasive information. Like we know whether you, um, people who, who read those articles mm -hmm. or were exposed to some of that help content will later, on average, statistically Ooh, data. perform those actions. Exactly. So looking at that data in the aggregate, even if you're not collecting any sort of uh, you know, like personal usage data, can still help you figure out whether your education is being effective or not. And at Optimizely, we would look at the percentage of users who accomplished certain actions when they were exposed specifically to in-product education on the topic versus those who weren't. So I'll give you an example. In one study, we saw over 50% of users accomplishing the goal when we educated them versus the baseline when, when people found it on their own, it was 13%. Ooh. 13% um, of people would perform that goal without any sort of assistance in product. But as exciting as that can be, I would argue that we still need to be strategic about how we use in-product education. So for our listeners out there, keep in mind that for many of our customers, in-product is not the only place they want to be educated. 
in product education works great for users who are in a trial or who are going through a self-serve onboarding, but not necessarily great for prospects who aren't in your product yet, um, right? Because in product education isn't going to help people who are not in product. <laughs> yeah. nor, nor is it helpful for customers who are looking for more advanced education. That's where learning paths, certifications, help centers, all those pieces start to become more important and you have an ecosystem. What yeah, that, think, is, that, uh, that is definitely huge. And, you know, I was just thinking about some of the products that I'm trying to learn right now because I'm, I'm playing a lot with Tableau, which has some really great stuff in it. And then some other newer products I'm, I won't mention because I'm going to be a little critical in that, you know, I've I'm, I'm been working with this really technically sophisticated product for moving data around. And I'm struggling because I don't see any learning pathway. And even in product, I'm not getting, I, I might get a little question mark and it gives me some vague and amb- ambiguous feedback. And, and that's not helpful to me in that moment. It doesn't direct me to anything that has good examples and templates and models or patterns that I can use. So it's this ecosystem. You're, you're completely right. I really want something that says, hey, I see you're struggling with this, or hey, this is what this means, and I can go out to a doc, or I can go out to a video, or I can go out to a learning pathway, and it just sets me in the right position, right? Yeah. Um, let, let me go a little bit further, and I also want to, to say once again, in customer education, education in general, there, there's a, uh, you, you tend sometimes to feel like you can do it all on your own. You never can. It's not realistic. We're part of a fabric and you can't do things on your own. You need to partner up with product, maybe product marketing, and you got to get their buy-in for strategy, especially for product teams who care a lot about that user experience and don't want to clutter their user experience. That can be a super duper hard sell. You're going to have to show them Here's what the data is. This data is suggesting, just like Adam was showing his numbers a second ago, it's it's showing that doing more in product queues or walkthroughs can be beneficial for their goals, the customer's goals. Yeah, and, and how do you ultimately support product adoption? Because if if you can show that there is either a strong correlation or ideally some causation between those who are versus aren't exposed to certain in-product education moments, then you know that your goals are directly aligned with the customers and ultimately with with your product teams. Yeah. So let's close out with some tips. Okay. We can assume that in-product education will be part of your strategy, even if it is not entirely your new LMS. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's great, but but how do you make it good in product education? Should we do another lightning round, Dave? Well, let's go lightning round two, activate. Okay, I'm going first. Good in-product education should not just be a real estate tour, okay? Nobody likes that. Maybe some people. It should also explain why features or workflows or best practices are valuable. Awesome. Okay, cool. I'll say find the right balance between being on brand and distinctive. You don't want education uh, in your product to be ugly and look like you just like slapped it in there, but you also don't want it to look exactly like your product. You don't want it uh, to be mistaken, say, for an error message. It needs to be on brand, but still distinctive. Yeah, cool. All right, I'm gonna pretend right now that I'm a pop-up. You clicked on something and it's a customer education platform and it's and I'm trying to do something here. And then- I'm trying to close I, you. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I pop up, hey, I'm short and punchy. Customers don't want to read a novel and you only have so much space right here. You see in this field, save additional context for your help center. So me, Dave, in a pop-up is going to tell you to go, hey, you should do this, 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 go out here and read more. 
All right, cool. That's a great one. Okay, I'll say uh, recommend a workflow whenever possible. So whether it's an onboarding center or a walkthrough, give the user concrete actions to accomplish and reward them with a checkbox or some sort of completion uh, indicator when they're done. Cool. Um, let's talk multimedia. Use it if you can. If you've got usable quick videos, you know, I'm talking 30 seconds, 15 seconds, you know, on how to use this or that, consider showing them right there in the product yourself. Have them pop up, make make it easier, and show somebody how to click something or do something that's a little bit more technically sophisticated, but a video, you know, way more than a thousand words, right? Indeed. Uh, yeah, a video is worth a thousand words, right? So fin finally, I'll 10, say- 10,000. 10,000, <laughs> a video is worth 10,000 words. Okay, finally, closing out the lightning round, I'll say, if you have the opportunity to do some light customization to make your in-product education more personal, do it. Hmm, yeah. If you can use, say, dynamic text fields like the customer's name or industry, and that information is available in your product and can be passed into your in-product education, that lets you add a personal touch without a high amount of effort. Yeah, that's super cool. And what works for us, may not work for you. So it's really important to, again, we're a laboratory, we're the customer education laboratory, experiment and iterate, especially as your product evolves. What you did at first, that ain't gonna fly as you grow because you're gonna be rapidly changing. Uh, we're gonna tell you, suggest to you, advise you, be open to starting simple and iterate in response to whatever feedback you're starting to see, whatever your telemetry is telling you. Whew, okay. Finishing yep. with telemetry, but we shouldn't finish without talking about metrics, should we? What no. should we measure, Dave? Um, okay, first, we should think about, well, we should think like product managers. Uh, what do they want to know? They want to know about engagement with the product that they built and labored over with that in-product education. Now, what I would say about that is which cues and walkthroughs are getting the most and least engagement. What are the things that people really dig? What do they don't what they don't like or just don't care about? And then we should think about more how these correlate to other activities. Uh, which in product education initiatives are, are are more than not likely to drive product adoption down the road. And that's that's the key. You start somebody one one place, you get them hooked, and then a tip pops up and says, hey, did you know about this other feature? Oh, I didn't. That's actually really cool. And that's how you drive adoption within the platform. Yeah, it helps you figure out which of your uh, walkthroughs to keep and which ones to scrap. Yep. So I would say, okay, so that's thinking like a, like a product manager. I'll, I'll say think like a marketer. So marketer, uh, yeah. within your guides, especially the ones that have multiple steps, measure drop-off to figure out when people stop clicking through. Uh, at Optimizely, we did this. We, we used Pendo, and Pendo both surfaces in product guides and gives you analytics. So we were always able to see drop-off um, from step to step to step. If you notice a significant drop-off in one step, ask yourself why. Is it because the content isn't relevant? Um, or maybe there's a technical error that's preventing them from proceeding and the guides are just breaking. Yeah. So in general, it's always good not to add more steps than you need because you'll always have drop off and you'll have the risk of uh, having people not complete. Yeah, that's that's a good point. And then I think the last point I would make is like other customer education programs, look outside of education itself to the impact you're having on the business. You know, remember, we've talked about ROI and connecting with the higher purpose and the higher mission of the business itself. For users who engage with your in-app help, do they actually submit fewer support tickets? That's top of mind a lot of times. Uh, or does somebody convert from a free trial to a paid version because they're looking at your material and like, oh my gosh, I could solve this use case, this use case, use, this use case, just by going through some tutorials and they're like, I'm going to buy your product. Yeah, absolutely. So Dave... Is in-product education the new LMS? 
No, but it's part of the ecosystem of tools we use as customer educators to really help our folks out. And speaking of helping folks out, there's plenty more to talk about when it comes to in-product education, but hopefully this has helped some folks out today. If you want to learn more, we have a podcast website at customer.education where you can find show notes and other material. On Twitter, I'm at Evermescu. And I'm at Dave Darrington. And special thanks to Alan Coda for our awesome theme music that we use all the time. We love. And if this, my friends, helped you out, uh, please do us a favor. We really need your help uh, to subscribe to our show and the podcaster of choice. Get some friends to do the same, especially if you're working in customer success teams and you've got other people doing this. Or even more so, leave us a review on iTunes or, or your podcast stream of choice. Uh, these things really help expose our podcast to other people, and, and it really makes us happy. So to our audience, thank you all once again for joining us. Get out there, educate, experiment, and find your people. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.